Welcome to What Bubbles Up. Pop open your mind and a cold one and get creative with your hosts, Bill and Barry. What bubbles up? What's poppin' everybody and welcome to episode 5 of this season of What Bubbles Up? A show about ideas. Where do they come from and how do you know when they're truly great? Oh, this is going to be fun. What a way to spend a Friday afternoon, Barry, especially yep. now that it's snowing there in the uh, greater Boston area. I'm sorry to hear about <laughs> yes. that. The endless winter continues here in the uh, in the Arctic North, Phil. That's yeah, right. well, I'm sorry to hear that. But uh, I'll just give you a little bit of envy. It's beautiful here in the D.C. area, um, uh, which is music to my ears and hopefully yours. Uh. Which foreshadowing, foreshadowing, foreshadowing that's Phil. what yes. this episode is going to be about music and how to be musical, even if you don't have any musical talent. Um, <laughs> but and we're going to get to that in just a second. But the uh, but for now, the all important question at hand is, Barry, what are you drinking? Well, I went I went into the uh, the the Wegman supplied beer fridge, Phil, and I mm-hmm. picked up one. This one struck, spoke to me because I, I it reminds me of the Bobby McFerry song, like uh, "Don't worry, be happy." So this is called "Be Hoppy" here by Warmtown oh, Brewery, nice. with a giant sort of smiley face on there. So I'm going to pyre that up. Go ahead. Oh, Ooh. that'll be good. Ooh. Nice. What are you drinking, Phil? All right. Well, I made a trip uh, this past weekend uh, to Williamsburg, Virginia, once again, and mm-hmm. uh, happened to cross uh, one of our favorite places. It's the Precarious Beer Company. Uh, mm. the, it's actually uh, the Precarious Beer Project uh, because I don't know why they want to be clever. <laughs> I'm even I'm even wearing yeah. a shirt because. Oh uh, my God! They've got yeah. you. They, they've got you fully outfitted. Yeah. Hook, hook line, and sinker. Um, yeah. And I thought. Well, what what beer would go well with this episode? And I'm just going to read a quick little description on the side of the can. Yeah. Sometimes things get a little crazy. Your pillow is way too lumpy. The ding dong in front of you is driving seven miles per hour under the speed limit. And your favorite spot to park is taken by a backer inner. You freaking out, bro. (laughs) Which you could have said that with a Boston accent, too. You freaking out, bro. Yeah. But uh, yeah. that's the name of the beer. You freaking out. And I love the guy on the on the on the can who, you know, he's uh-huh. uh, he's looking there pretty pretty rough. But uh, it's a it's a German style Pilsner, five point five percent ABV. Let me pop it open and see if I freak out. Ooh, yeah. I like Excellent. the guy. He look he looks like some uncles of mine. I have to say, actually. <laughs> Why don't I go and introduce our special guest? So we are thrilled to be joined here on What Bubbles Up by Jack Bradley. Jack is the executive producer um, and partner at Hi-Fi Project. Hi-Fi Project is a company that I've worked with, and I've worked with Jack and known Jack now for for a while here. So basically, mm-hmm. commercial music business, right? Jack offers services around the original music composition, sound design. Um, licensing music sometimes, but the the, the joke that I always kind of have with Jack is that he. He gets to create music with a whole bunch of people like me that are not musical, right? Yeah, Which is yeah, so right. he spends his entire day like trying to translate between actual sort of composers and musicians and sort of like everyman people. So Jack, welcome. Welcome to What Bubbles Up. So happy to be here. Thank you guys for inviting me and having me. Yes. Now welcome. what are you drinking? Here we, we gotta impress us here. Okay. We got well, you ready. I'll try. Um, I've already popped it open because I didn't even want to, you know, stop. But um, yes. I, I just recently, <laughs> I just recently moved back to the Boston area, and I'm mm. in Quincy. I'm about two minutes from Dorchester, yep. so I've been dis- I've been rediscovering all the local breweries. So I went out and picked up a little local brew called Dorchester Brewing Company's Neponset Gold. Ooh! Oh, so from right across nice. the bridge over here. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can almost see the bridge from my place. So I'm doing a little Neponsicle. Plus, with this terrible weather, I wanted to be thinking summer. So yeah. a nice golden ale is going to make me feel like summer. And I went yeah. with the glass. Yeah, uh, Absolutely. Well you're you're a classy guy. Well, it's funny. I haven't heard of that one. I'm going to have to check that one out. Yeah, That's go awesome. ahead. Make a, make a trip. Take <laughs> <Yeah>. a drive. <laughs> yeah. So let's cool. dive in here. I mean, sure. I think, uh, so, I mean, we... You know, Jack, you and I sort of spoke earlier, right? And we and I think we want to kind of cut right into it here. So, you know, this is a podcast about ideas, right? <clears throat> and, um, you know, music and actually composing music is really about a whole bunch of ideas sort of coming mm-hmm. together, right? You know, sure. and so you are helping 
you are helping um, groups of people kind of compose music together, right? And to try to figure out what is going to work, right? A lot of the music that you guys create is like accompanying television commercials or maybe accompanying films and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So, you know, one of the things you said that I thought was really powerful was this whole notion that music is personal. Tell us why you think that music is personal. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I mean, music is personal because it is. It, once you think about that statement for a second, you realize it just is. Mm-hmm. You know, Each of us mm-hmm. has our own musical tastes. Each of us has music that we are immediately drawn to because we grew up with it or it just resonated with us or our parents loved it or our best friend loved it or mm-hmm. our significant. I mean, music is a personal thing. I mean, I, I, I did a little fun little experiment. I think Barry, you were there for it years ago yeah. when you were at Sapient and, yeah. I, and I got everybody in a room and I said, all right, well, I'm thinking of a female. No, I didn't even say female. I said, I'm thinking of a singer songwriter primarily plays piano who's been around, you know, in the last 20 years, who's very relevant and who are you thinking about? And everybody had a different answer. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know, it was like, everybody had, I was thinking of Tori Amos. That's what I was thinking of, but everybody was was like, Oh, Billy Joel. It was like, everybody had, you know, Carol King, like you could have so many different answers to that. But that's just one example of when, when you try to describe music, it, it's it is just very personal. What resonates with one person may not resonate with another person. Yeah. Yeah. I notice how personal it is when someone asks me to kind of see my Spotify playlists and I get embarrassed. Uh, right. Do you know what I'm saying? Because yeah, right. it's kind of like like I don't care. If someone wants to see my driver's license, that's fine. You want to sort of see some other things, but somehow the Spotify playlists that I have say some stuff about me that maybe I don't want everyone to know, like, mm-hmm. you know, some music that I like that I might be embarrassed that I like or other things that I don't, or I worry that my music isn't cool enough. I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it somehow is a character, uh, either flaw or sort of like character judgment of me, I guess, like what you think of my Spotify playlist. Well, it's, it's basically an extension of your personal brand. It's, it's much about your mm. identity uh, as the clothes you wear or, you know, the style of your hair. Uh, it sounds like an Elder Barge lyric, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which also tells you something about me that I know that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it, 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 it is true because you associate it with your personality. That's why it's personal. Um, it, it's, and, and also, I guess, you know, to a certain extent, what you don't like says something about you too, especially if you make judgments on, on, on other people's tastes. I mean, it is about personal taste after all. And if you don't like it, uh, you're saying as much about what you do like as much as, mm-hmm. you know, passing judgment on what somebody else doesn't. Um, you know, this, this gets back to sort of how you give feedback and you work with a lot of advertisers who, are really good at giving you bad feedback, but not necessarily good at giving you good feedback. I mean, tell us a little bit about how you work with advertisers and other people to to supply music, and then the the nuance in giving feedback so that you can help them in the best way possible. Sure. Wow. I mean, yeah, that's 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 really the big question. Um, so the biggest trick is as as Barry said, it's about translation. So a lot of times we get on a call just like this and Mm -hmm. I have a spot in front of me and may or may not be a reference track on it. So some piece of music that they put on there, an editor put on there, whatever it might be. And they send me that. So my first question is always, well, do you like that reference track? Is it on there for a reason? Or is that just, we needed music. So that thing was on that that begins a conversation. Oh, we really like that. Okay, now I get a sense of what you like. Or nah, we don't really like. It. Well, why don't you like it? And we we get into all of that. And what I try to do is just ask as many questions as possible to try to understand what this group of people with all their own personal takes on music mm-hmm. um, want this to be because it's not music for their personal consumption. And I think that was really where you and I were talking about it, Barry. There's such yeah. a difference between if you're just walking down the street with your ear pods, you can listen to whatever you want. Nobody's going to judge. It's your music. But mm-hmm. when you put it onto a piece of content, going out to other people. So therefore it is being judged for, for whatever reason. Yeah. So, you know, I think what I really try to do is help people understand 
what is best for the project and is that mm-hmm. you have to separate yourself from your personal brand. If you're somebody that loves, loves heavy metal, that's probably not going to work for that <laughs> two yeah. minute video know. for a pharmaceutical product. Yeah, I mean, I could story. probably yeah. make it work. Yeah. I could make it work, but yeah. it's, yeah. it's probably going to not resonate with the, yeah. the music does that. It'll disconnect you. You'll be like, that's not what yeah. I expected. Well, that's talk, weird. talk about that though, because I do think sometimes, um, it's obvious what kind of music is really going to heighten the moment and things like that. But then there are other pieces of, of commercials and things like that, where the music almost like goes against what's happening. It's like when someone puts a slow motion fight scene together and yet Mm -hmm. we have opera up against it or something like that. Right. Or, or it's like people sort of spinning they're in love and you have heavy metal against it. It actually, sometimes it creates this really interesting, like how do you think about either writing music, to sort of naturally heighten what's happening or to sort of create some sort of ironic contrast to what's happening. Well, that, that is really comes back to whatever the creative concept is. Is, is mm-hmm. it ironic or is it just, you want to, you're really speaking the message. Let's double down on it. That's the first question that needs to happen. If it's ironic, then of course you're going to take a little bit of a left turn or do something that nobody saw coming. And that might work with the dialogue or, because you know, they might take something really seriously visually and mm-hmm. the music's ridiculous of course right. that's that's perfect that's what you want to do because they don't want to be taken too seriously but if they're like well this is a spot about something that's very heartfelt then if you don't do heartfelt music it's going to confuse people because yeah. they're going to be like what am i supposed to feel right now I, yeah. I, yeah. this music i'm listening to punk but there's like people talking about cancer and passing away like that doesn't make any sense <laughs> not quite so right you, you don't have to those... make those yeah exactly you don't want the theme song from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm to start playing, you know, when somebody's yeah. crying on no. by somebody's no. deathbed. Probably not yeah. the right move, unless you're trying right. to be an asshole, right. basically. Um, <laughs> right. So right. Um, do you find that, well I'll, well, I'll start with an anecdote, which is, you know, people who learned, who, who aren't really in the creative profession or aren't considered quote-unquote creatives themselves, they learned how to give feedback to other creatives by creative directors who come from ad agencies, it typically is just, they believe that the thing to do is to crap all over it, right? Because uh, that's how they learned. Um, I'm thinking about a particular account person who never had a kind <laughs> word for any creative because he learned from other creative directors who were really not very nice to their teams. Um, do you think that yeah. is something endemic to the advertising world? Or, uh, or do you find that, you know, it's just hard to articulate what what isn't working and why that's a that's a great that's a great point i i mean i'm very familiar with that as we said before getting negative feedback which i always find is almost never helpful um yeah. sometimes yeah. it is if i'm mining into it like i said if they're like well we like this reference but we don't okay good what don't you like about it because yeah. then yeah. i can start to extrapolate what you do like about it if i eliminate that in my brain and I have enough musical training to be like, okay, you hate the bass part. Okay. All right. I, I see what you like. Then you like that other right. thing that's happening. Um, but I, you know, I find that I don't know that that's endemic to advertising. It's certainly, I mean, as I'm spending 95% of my life in advertising professionally, um, mm-hmm. it's sure as hell there, um, yeah. you know, because you do get that, you know, it's very rare, Unless, you know, sometimes you do get that. I just finished a project where I sent a bunch of music. They wanted really like neo-funk, retro, Mm. but feels modern production, which is like fine. You know, we do a lot of that stuff. That stuff that sounds like the heavy, you know, there's so many bands that really embrace that. And so Mm -hmm. we had a bunch of music like that. And I got my first feedback email and they they were like, client absolutely loves this piece of music. They've been talking about it for two days. That's all they talk about. They started using the, the, my library track name as like the, the theme song for them. I'm like, that's fantastic. So then it was just (laughs) nuancing and just, you know, arranging that track and we're done. But other times I'll send something like that and I'll come back and be like, well, everything was a little too stocky and a Mm. little too upbeat. And I'm like, I mean, I don't, I sure as heck don't hear that, but let me try to understand what you're hearing yeah. that makes you say that. Mm-hmm. See, I think that's the essence of the thing that that I've experienced. I I think 
if people actually are trained in music and are musical, they can kind of offer musical feedback to people who are composing it. But what I often see are people who are not musical and not trained in music trying desperately to sort of use musical language to describe music. And I, I actually think it's a fool's errand. What what I mm. I am not musical in that way. And by the way, I would throw myself in that camp. But what I have found to be effective is to talk about emotion. Um, yes, like right. I don't, this is making, like, I feel, it feels sad to me or it feels longing to me. And what I want is to have something that sort of feels like it's ominous or I want to have something. And I have found that, like, when I talk to musicians or to people like you, Jack, about kind of the emotion that I want a scene to have it's way easier. If I start to go in there and go like, you know, it's the wrong kind of drum. And I think the baseline that yeah. I, I can sort of feel everyone sort of looking at me sideways. Like, have you ever played <laughs> drums? Do you have any idea what you're talking about? <laughs> right. I'm just like, yeah. I'm just saying things that I've heard other people who know more sort yeah. of like say, like, right. like what do you, what do you think about that? Like what, what advice would you have for someone who isn't musical Mm-hmm. Like what kind of language should they use to help people understand what you have in your head uh, and, and help people kind of compose the right thing? Right. I think, I think emotions are, are really, really helpful. I think, um, you know, adjectives that aren't necessarily musical are, are great. They're fine. You know, you can say, Oh, it's just, I want it to feel brighter or I wish it had more yeah. heaviness to it. You know, I mean, that's yeah. not necessary. I mean, it's, eh, it could be an emotion, but it's just giving you a description for, I can take that and translate that musically for whatever yeah. that might be. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are just, when you start to get too prescriptive, it, the problem is it's, it's going to frustrate the composers. It's going to frustrate because they're going to be like, well, why are you, why are you dissing my baseline? That's a killer baseline. It, it's like, but mm-hmm. if somebody said, well, it's too heavy, it's like, all right, well, I need to, lessen the baseline you know there's too much bass to it perhaps you know or you know the whole sad less sad thing i mean that sometimes is just as simple as changing something from a minor chord to a major chord and the life changes because that's that's inherent in humanity when you hear a minor chord it's it's sad it's It's just how it sounds to us you know like you can do all kinds of psychological studies as to why that is but it just is when you do a major chord that's happy. that's happy. Yeah. You know, that's positive now. Yeah. That's you know, if you when you go to most stock music sites, pick your pick your poison, Google uh, play or audio jungle, whatever it is, they usually let you sort by emotion. <clears throat> so yeah. it's happy, upbeat, that is true. you know. Um, so so that's an easy to translate because you know, music people know minors sad, majors happy, and then you know, certain beats per minute, it's, you know, once you get to like 110, 120, it's going to be more of a chase scene. And if you're at, you know, 96 and below, it's going to be, you know, something else. Um, so I'm throwing around some music jargon. I used to, used to be a musician, but Jack, how did you get into music? Tell us a little bit about your start, you know, uh, were you practicing and then decided to take a a little bit more of a turn into, into production and, and, and oversight or, um, you know, tell us a little bit about the, the origin story. Sure. Yeah, I definitely took a, a real sort of mouse maze approach to getting where I am. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I started really my first introduction to music was was my mom who sat me down at the piano when I was three, four years old. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And she was somebody who grew up playing the piano. It was instrumental in her life. She really strongly about the power of music. And um, I couldn't be more thankful that she did. So she sat me down and started teaching me piano when I was a little kid. She made a really, I think, very smart, prophetic um, (laughs) decision when I was probably nine to start having me learn with a jazz piano teacher Mm -hmm. as opposed to going more uh, in the classical camp. And so I always had this passion for music and and i remember even as a kid like watching cartoons i think a lot of people can relate to this and being obsessed with like classical music like of all things like you just you're just like oh my god i want to hear more franz list it's like what you know like you're nine years old but but in the cartoons they're so cool so i i just always i always felt myself gravitated towards things musical and then really the big shift for me was um when i was heading into college and starting to think about, you know, oh, what is your career going to be? I also became really obsessed with filmmaking and movies. And I love movies right. and dissecting movies and learning mm-hmm. everything I could. And I, I couldn't wrap my head around a career in music. Cause to me at that point, all I knew was 
well, am I going to be the next Billy Joel? No, I'm not that good. You know, mm-hmm. like I can play piano really well, but I'm not a singer and I can write music, but I'm not good with lyrics. So I didn't see a path forward that way. So I went down the filmmaking route. Right. And after spending a number of years um, as a freelance filmmaker in Boston, I mean, I really yeah. worked my way up from a PA uh, all the way to being an AD. That's an assistant director for people who don't know. And I mm-hmm. uh, worked on a lot of independent movies, worked on local commercials. And I loved the camaraderie. I loved the vibe. Um, but honestly, um, 9-11 happened and work stopped. Yeah. Almost. yeah. And I had a, a newborn at that point. My daughter had just been born. And yeah. my wife and I were like, what are we going to do? So I started calling everybody I knew. And I got an opportunity to go work at Arnold, uh, which is an agency mm-hmm. here in yeah. Boston. Yeah. And I, um, I took a big step back. I became an assistant again, because I knew I had to work my way back up in a new way. And yep. it was at Arnold that I really learned about the whole world of post-production. And I realized that there are, there are companies that just make music for commercials. And that was a, that was a revelation to me because I was like, why didn't anybody tell me this? Like, years ago. So I just started to get to know as many of them as I could. I met every producer, every composer, every executive producer I could, I could meet. And, um, and so in 2005, I decided maybe my time at the agency was up and I Mm -hmm. talked to a music company uh, on the West coast that was about to open a New York office. And I just said, you guys should hire me and I'll move and come run your office for you. And they said, Okay, that sounds cool. And that's literally <laughs> yeah. how I got into the business. I, I think it's I funny that you them. think that that's like a serpentine journey, man. We can tell yeah. you some serpentine journeys from some of the crazy <laughs> I people. Bet. Yeah, but I bet. what I love about that is it is, in a way, the perfect combination of your passion for film and the storytelling mm. there and yeah. your passion for music, right? Because you're using music to kind of help tell stories. Now, I mean, one of the things that's interesting to me is you know, the, the big debate that certainly I always had when we were making advertising is, you know, we're trying to tell us, we're trying to make a commercial. We're trying to tell a story here. Should we purchase a piece of music? You know, should we, should we Mm. kind of curate something awesome or, or should we compose something? Like, how do you help people make that choice? Well, that, that in itself is decided typically by factors that have nothing to do with creative yeah, um right. i i i wish that there was more creative thought into making that decision but mm-hmm. nine out of ten times that decision is is based on time and money period yeah. <laughs> because I, I would money especially but yes, money yes. especially I, yeah. I cannot tell you how many projects i've worked on over the years um it's a lot that i got a call or an email and said, hey, we have this great creative idea. We'd love to work with you on it. We really want this track by David Bowie. So how much? And I'd be like, oh, I'd be like, well, all right, well, what, twelve million dollars. What do you what are you what are you doing? Like, what is the because that's yeah. the other thing. People are just like, spot? yeah, we're we're making a thing. And I'm like, well, but what is the thing? Do you need it for six months? Do you need it for a week? Do you need yeah. it for a year? So I, I get yeah. all those answers. And let's say, let's go with some of the standard stuff. Like, okay, it's US national. Um, yeah, one mm-hmm. year TV, one spot. And yeah. I'm like, that's going to cost you a million dollars minimum. Yeah. And yeah. they're like, Oh, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and me being me, I'll, I'll reach out to somebody at the label or the publishing side. I'll pick one or the other and I'll just hit it up and be like, what do you think? Yeah, it's going to be 1.4 million. Okay. That's what yeah. I thought. Yeah. And I'll come back and be like, Oh geez, we were really hoping it'd be like $30,000. Oh, like, yeah. It's, it's no. not. <laughs> so, so suddenly they're in a position that it's like, yeah, well, what do we do? And then mm-hmm. I try to help them understand what, what do you do? Like what, yeah. what was so compelling about the Bowie track? You know, and the way that I try to describe it to people is if, if you're trying to buy into the equity of a known song and it really, really works and some spots are that like the whole spot is built around the equity of what that song is and what it, what it means to most yeah. people, yeah. then mm-hmm. it's like, if that's your whole campaign, then you got to find the money. Yeah. Yep. Or at least you need to pay for the publishing side of it and maybe do a re-record because you can you can save some money there, but right. you still are buying the equity of the original song. Yep. If that is not as big of a deal, if you just happen to love the sound of that mm-hmm. song, well then then let's make something because yep. you know for that thirty thousand dollar budget, that's a that's a fantastic budget for us to go out and compose something fresh. And then you're that's your piece of music. Nobody yeah. else out there has the 
piece of music. So I try to find ways to make it yeah, appealing. I agree mm-hmm. with that. I think that that's really powerful. It's it's interesting. It, it's um, I have done both. I mean, I I I paid Annie Lennox a million dollars for uh for uh yeah. for her song "Why" that I used on a bunch of car commercials back in the day, and nice. and then and then have composed a bunch of stuff. And I've actually seen both too. So like we used to do work. This is not my commercial, but on Nissan, and Nissan had mm-hmm. a couple of spots that would not have worked if we couldn't have gotten, you know, the, the Van Halen track right for, yeah. for the like the Barbie Nissan Z commercial and stuff right, like that. Right. Um, but there were a lot of other things where really what you want to do is you want to score the energy and score the film. And there's something incredibly powerful when you have an owned piece of music because mm-hmm. I think Jack, you said it best. If you buy a track, even if you spend a lot of money, it's going to show up on like other commercials and things like that yeah. too. You can't so get exclusivity own, on a the famous own track. track you just becomes, yeah. I mean, Phil, you and I yeah. talk about this all the time. Like a brand sure. can be a, um, a, represented a lot of ways, but increasingly in our world, it can be sound and it yep. can be exactly you know haptics and motion design. And so, like, like yes. owning kind of music and owning a sound or a mnemonic. Mnemonic. That's like gold <laughs> to us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Your, your job is to maybe not get him David Bowie, but you can get him Mavid Schmoey. That's, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. You can get him Sean Bowie. Sean yeah. Bowie. Yeah. 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 No, re- no relation. Yeah. He's, like, he's just a guy who lives in, uh, you know, Dorchester. You know, he, yeah, but, yeah. 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 He's over he, in Bill Ricca. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the, the <laughs> woman. So the things yeah. that, you know, the things that I, I try to give it as, as examples, and, and these are like really things that happen. I remember a number of years ago, um, I I was watching TV, probably watching the Red Sox, knowing me, but for, yeah. me, yeah. for those of you who aren't from Boston, but I was watching the Red Sox <laughs> game because I was typically like the only TV TV that I would watch. Just that's yeah. our world, ironically. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing in one commercial block, two 30 second spots for two different brands and they both use the same piece of music. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, where's your brand equity now? Like yeah, that right. artist and that label and that publisher, they're just like, you're the best. Like, thank you for all that. You know? <laughs> and then on the other side of that is, and we didn't talk about this at all yet, but I think it's interesting is what I'll also have happen is I'll have a client hear that they can't afford some famous piece of music. So then they just completely give up and they're like, fine, we'll just get stock for a hundred bucks. And it's like, whoa, yeah. like you, why are you going that way? Because, yeah. you know, that, that has all of its own limitations. And I, I had a story from a client that they came to me too late because they had already aired it, but they had, um, they bought a piece of stock music for, I don't know, 300 bucks and put it on this spot that to them was apparently very important. And it went out into the world. And two weeks later, that exact same piece of music came out on a 60 second political ad for Donald Trump. Yeah, And oh, yeah. they were like, how did this happen? And I'm like, because that's what you paid for. Yeah, but you yeah. don't have exclusive rights yeah, to it. Exactly. Well, talk talk a little bit though about like how your business has changed because the composition business sure. has changed massively. I mean, you used to get yes. like a brief and then write music. And now though, I, I would argue that your business is actually a lot like a stock house though, but in that you can kind of buy, you have a lot of existing work to sort of start from. And yeah. so- and so you can kind of buy something and augment it and you still own it, but, but it's, it's less like you're starting sometimes from a blank sheet of paper and more like you're starting with like a, a beat track or, or, yeah. or something. I mean, yeah. talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I really have, especially in the last six or seven years, the, the, the entire business has really shifted from a creative make something mentality to a curatorial mentality. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm convinced that that is because of the sheer amount of content being made. Right. And there's so much being made. And therefore, there's so much more um, music stock libraries that you can go to. And, you know, it, it's, it all feeds itself. So, you know, back in the day, 20, 25 years ago, there were only so many music companies. And they had these amazing composers and they had two dozen on staff. And the, well, those days are gone. So yeah. what are those composers going to do? They're going to go out and they're going to sell their music to libraries. So now all of right. a sudden the stock libraries are not these like eh, mm-hmm. midi weird things that you don't want to buy that they were 20 years. They're actually really quite good. Yeah. You know, admittedly, they're very good because the composers that are, that are, 
bringing the music to them are are top level composers. Right. So, right. You know, you combine that with, and, and I'll just give you like real hard examples for us. When I saw the change happen was when I had certain agencies that I work with a lot. They stopped sending me emails and saying, "We'd like to talk to you about this job and send you a brief." To we need music that sounds like this by today at four o'clock. Yeah. That is yeah. a massive shift in process yeah. right there. And, the, yeah. and and if you don't have those pieces of music, you're out. You don't have the job. Yeah. So even if you have the best relationships with a producer or creative team, mm-hmm. you you can't work with them because you don't have that retro 80s feminine hip hop track that they need <laughs> in an hour. And you're like, uh, you know, I can't okay. speak you. for yourself. I got it right here. I was going to yeah. say that came yeah. way too easily off the tongue. That must have just happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, not just, but it did happen Soon yeah. enough, <laughs> recently enough. You know, I in uh, in my distant past, I actually worked at a at a jingle house. And uh, this is, but this is in New York in the late '90s. Probably the maybe the heyday before they had all these libraries before Napster and and like the music business itself became so decentralized. We had Dave Meeker on uh, recently talked about mm. the de- decentralization of digital stuff just in general. Yeah, um, Web three. Yeah, Web three. And we're not. I'm not necessarily even talking about NFTs, music NFTs, which also is a thing. But you know the 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 decentralization of musical creativity. I guess. Um, yeah, I, I can understand that shift from creation to curation, um, and, and having these 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 libraries at your at your disposal. <clears throat> so, is there a difference then between how you would typically do it, like with a with an actual artist, versus the the commercial world where it's, a, it's essentially call and response? I mean, that's got to be a pretty pretty massive difference in relationship, yeah. It can be, um, you know, I, I think for us, at least it, it all still comes in many ways from the same place of, you know, we work with our core team of, I'm lucky that I have four staff artists, composers. Um, so they work on almost every job. And then I've got a whole grouping of freelancers that I work with all the time that like the ex- expanded family, um, and I try to approach every job the same, but I, I think that, you know, the, the difference is when you're starting something from scratch, you really have a lot of opportunity to, um, to nuance and mm-hmm. to, um, you know, go through stages. And what happens with the curatorial thing is I, I get why it works, but you lose a lot of that nuance. It really just mm-hmm. comes down. A lot of times it's just send us 50 tracks. We'll choose the best one. And you're like, wow, that's, there's no nuance in that. It's just, yeah. here you go. You mm-hmm. pick, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and I think a lot of that too comes from the fact that a, a lot of the creative people that I'm working with now, um, they're, they're young, you know, and I, mm. I'm not going to call any of us old here, but like, these well. are people that are, it's <laughs> well, your fits. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not going to go down that road. I don't believe that to be true, but, but we're talking about people that are 25, like they're yeah. young. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a couple of years out of college. Th- their whole life has been, they've had streaming music. Yeah. You know, yeah. They've always been able to just, to, you know, they don't understand what the word obscure even means when when we were like, if I wanted to find like some really cool Japanese horror movie that I've been hearing about, (laughs) good luck finding that VHS tape in 1989, right? You'd have to like go to 17 stores and go to a PO box and all kinds of crazy. Whereas now it's just, you just go on YouTube and and that same thing has occurred with music where it's just, I'll just find, I mean, I was just talking to somebody a couple of days ago who I, I respect and has started and sold many, many companies. And he was telling me about how he just made this big video to talk about his newest company. And I was like, well, where'd you get the music? He's like, oh, I'll admit, I, I just spent 25 bucks on this thing I found online. And I was just like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. it was great. I'm like, I, I, I can't compete with that. Yeah. yeah. I just got finished reading the, uh, the autobiography of Dave Grohl, uh, mm. who, funny enough, is from my my town springfield virginia uh, uh, right down yeah, the street yeah. and uh same thing he grew up in the dc punk scene with like the 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 underground scene where you know he'd have to search high and low for for stuff that yeah now sort of the the thrill of the chase you know and, and the on demand expectation that that uh that music connoisseurs have now has shifted the way business happens the way we work in, in very, yeah. very significant ways. 
Yeah, I definitely yeah. feel that. I I think though that 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 you know in the same way that I kind of view sampling and kind of like you know sort of like remixes and and all of that kind of stuff as as sort of almost like a different art form that that's that's a lot of what I kind of see though that a lot of times though you still have composers who might sort of start with existing tracks that you have you know Jack and then but you're able to kind of put you're able to sort of like I mean, the value isn't, I mean, you're never going to find something in my experience, usually that sort of fits perfectly. It can be kind of close, right? But it's like, you know, you have a size 10 foot and the, and the sneakers, a size eight or something like that. And so <laughs> to me, the, the, the value is that you can, can tie, you can sort of like remix and combine concepts and you can kind of experiment maybe a little bit more because you're not just sort of like starting from scratch and, and that the really interesting composers can sort of see the potential in existing materials it's almost like you're sort of like an artist you sort of starting with sort of like scrap metal and kind of like building sculpture as opposed to an artist who's just starting with sort of like a uh, a block of marble i guess mm -hmm. do, do you know what i'm saying no i, I do and, and there's a there's don't get me wrong there is a benefit to working with the catalog because it's also just incredibly frustrating to be writing something from nothing. So that, that block of marble, you make this amazing thing and they look at it and they go, Oh no, that's not what I wanted. Well, then, oh, now right. you have to start over. But yeah. if, if you mm -hmm. have a catalog mm -hmm. to lean on and you have right. music yeah. that you can start from, then you're not doing all that work. You've already done the work for the most part. And you can say, well, what do you do? Would you like track five? Do you like track two? Would you, and they could at least start to talk about it. And, and that is, that is powerful. And to me, that was what the catalog really was before this curatorial thing took over. It was more there as a guide. So I would take the catalog and be like, well, you know what? Rather than us spending the next four days writing a bunch of stuff, because you don't totally sound sure of what you want, which is four out of five every job, you know, yeah, jobs. Right, yeah. When they're like, we want modern rock. I'm like, well, boy. <laughs> yeah. They, okay. they, just all, they all come in. They all want arcade fire. That's what I'm they just want. Like, yeah, right. Define what you want. Or they want a yeah. Radiohead. You know, yeah. Yeah. Radiohead. I was going to say there was a span of time where it didn't sound like Coldplay clocks. You you, you didn't have you didn't have a spot. You know what I'm saying? It's oh like, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we went through all those phases, right? There was there was the Coldplay phase. There was the Moby phase. Yeah. There was the yeah. Black Keys phase. Mm -hmm. There was the uh, the Lumineers phase. <laughs> I mean, you can go on and on and on. You know, it's like it, it perpetuates yeah. itself right. in yeah. the same way that you know. I feel like every other spot that we get, they're like, we want this to look just like that Nike thing that we saw. And you're like, okay, yeah. same same concept. Yeah. But, you know, I think having that catalog, I used to use it just as a way to say, look, let me get you some stuff in three hours that you can listen to. Never mind talking about it. Listen to it. React to it. Tell me what you like. Tell me what immediately hits you. Mm -hmm. And then I can take that and, and run with it. And that's just been doubled down because now that could be the end of the job. Yeah, like yeah. we like track seven. We want to tweak it and just score it to the picture. Okay, well, go, 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 go. Okay, now it's done the next day. Yeah. You know, but I used to use it as a way to help me know. I'd say, well, you love this one. Let me revise that and write you a handful of new tracks that are in that vein. And then at least I know we're in the same camp. And then yeah. you can yeah. make decisions, you know, and that would work really, I think, really well for somebody like Barry, how you describe, but trying to talk about an emotion. Because you're yeah. not talking to me about genre, you're not talking to me about specific instrumentation you're not talking yeah. to me about chords or yeah. percussion or mm -hmm. tempo you're just saying i want it to feel you know heartfelt or i want it to yeah. feel this and it, it's like a common language that i think yeah. we can kind of like share when we can kind of use those examples and then i mm -hmm. think you can kind of get into the nuance i don't know but what talk talk to us now a little bit though like what it's like to be an artist kind of in this game right so it sounds like you're describing at least in the commercial music business artists who have to be able to kind of like remix things who sort of start from other starter material and kind of like sort of like reinvent and to try to sort of take direction like how what is it like to be a commercial artist right now and how is that different from or maybe the same as some artists who are also trying to be solo artists like talk to us a little bit about the differences between those two worlds sure and i yeah. think the best way to describe that is it's the difference between art and craft. Mm. So I think that artists, you know, uh, musical artists is what we're talking about. You know, they're, they're making music for themselves. They're making music that they believe in that sounds good to them, that resonates with them. And that's what they want to put out to the world. They're putting themselves out to the world through their music. Mm. When you start to make music for content, you're, 
you're taking all of that musical insight and knowledge and skill that you have, but you're applying it to something that somebody else is telling you to make. And that's right. why I say it's it's akin to a craft. It's like if you hire an amazing cabinet maker who makes really, on the side, they might make these incredible art pieces that are weird and off-center and everything that they make is <laughs> red, right? Yeah. And that's their thing. But then if some, but if you come to them and say, hey, I'm willing to spend $20,000 on this amazing from cabinet, but I want it to be blue and I want it to look a little bit like the, you know, they're going to be like, eh, I could really use that $20,000. So they're going to make it like you want them to, right? They're going to make it like you want them to, but they're going to try to bring a little bit of their artistry. But yeah. at the end of the day, if you yeah. don't like it, you're not going to pay for it. Yeah. So that's, that's really what it comes down to. So, a, a, you know, there, there's all sorts of archetypes of composers and artists that work in my space. Some of them just do music for content period mm -hmm. that's all they do and they realize that there's great money in it they're yep. good at it and they're good at the craft and they bring their artistry to it if they weren't artists it would be very hard but mm -hmm. they bring their opinion and their style like let's say they're really good at electronica and trap and programming so that's what they, they excel at so they're going to take a spot for target and do something super cool and but it's going to be for target. It's going to have a little break in the middle at a certain yeah. point when the product mm -hmm. shows up, there's going to be a breakdown, you know, mm -hmm. and, and then other people are touring, making albums, and they're doing a little bit of this on the side because it's decent money. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, it, it, if you don't understand the craft of it, I will say it's really hard. And I've had a lot of projects come my way that they had reached out directly to artists who are incredible musical artists, but they could not make music that they wanted because it wasn't the time it wasn't scored it was totally mm -hmm. off because the artist was like hey i'm making what i want to make you hired yeah. me to make my yeah. art yeah. Yeah. so yeah. that that craft piece i think is incredibly important to be well, successful well we've we've talked to other people barry who know when to be an artist and know when it's okay to be commercial about your art at the same yeah. time and i think in this particular you know, in this particular sphere, the artists that I guess are the most successful are the, are the ones who have a visual sensibility about them, who can think about where their art could be applied in a spot or, or you know, uh, YouTube uh, pre-roll or whatever it is, and can craft to concept. In other words, yeah. they, can, they can see in their mind's eye, oh, I could put a break in here for, for a product shot, or uh, I, I'm pretty sure this is going to be something that could be used under, you know, a, a stand-up, you know, a talking VO, a talking head kind of thing. Um, and, and then as long as they preserve their art for art's sake stuff on the side, they don't feel like they're sacrificing anything and they have some money coming in the door. So it's a little yeah. bit of that sort of duality. I'm, I can be an artist, but I can also get paid for it. And there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I look at, Phil, I consider us artists, but I think that we are more artists that are in the applied arts, right? Yeah. And so, like, I I don't think of myself as I think of myself as more architect than sculpture. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm. you know, I think we're building art, but you know, that's the, I, I've always loved architects because you know they build art that you get to live in, and that actually helps you sort of like raise your kids and and that kind of thing. Versus yeah, for people who are just. Yeah. Yeah. And so I look at this in the, in the same way. I think it's, I think it's really fascinating, but I also do think that, you know, certainly there are a lot of people, Phil, that we work with that sort of dip in and out, right. They sort of like, they work, they work with us. We're sort of like doing some of these applications and art mm -hmm. for purpose. Yeah. And then they take two years and they're, what do they do? They're like a collage artist. Like, I mean, you and I can list yeah. off a number of people yeah. that actually yes. are pretty amazing, fine artists that, exactly. you know, yeah, you know, we were talking about like commerce checkout workflows on uh, e-commerce <laughs> website designs with the, yeah. the same people. Same, and, uh, same people. So I mean, I mean, yeah. like Jack, I mean, I look at you, and you've you've obviously you work with all these artists. You work with these artists that sort of dip back in and out. You know, you are an artist yourself. Like, do you do you still ever have the itch to create and perform music yourself, or are you really sort of just totally happy, kind of like helping other people kind of create the art they need for their projects? I'm almost entirely happy with the latter and helping people find their projects. I certainly get the itch sometimes to sit down and make something musical on my own just for the heck of it, because it's good for my soul. 
Um, I, uh, you know, hopefully when we get to the new house, we'll finally get the new piano I've been dreaming of since Ooh, I was a little nice. kid and I'll have time to sit and, and jam and, and kick my son off. Cause I know he's going to want to play it all the time, but I will be playing it. Yep. So <laughs> I, I still get that itch, but, but I feel, I, I guess in some ways, the way that you described yourself, Barry, that I love being in the role that I am because it's creative when it needs to be. I still have to talk music. I still have to get a brief or hear tracks and give revision notes to somebody who is an incredible composer, far better than me, and be able to give them notes to help them actually win the project. And that is, I think that is a unique skill that I I feel very, very lucky um, that I have that skill and that I'm mm-hmm. able to... Um, and sometimes even listen to what I call client ears and be like, Oh, yep. They're not going to like this. Cause it's just to this or to that. So mm-hmm. take these few things and change them up and make your track better. And, and I've just seen those tracks win because they've taken something really cool and artistic. And I've said, well, let, let's just dial it back just a little bit towards being towards yeah. this yeah. pharmaceutical brand, because let's be real. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. They're not going to go for that theremin part. They're not going to understand it. So, <laughs> yeah. the, you know, the theremin. you find ways to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Uh, my, my musician self, uh, is I, I look fa- very fondly, uh, back at those years. Um, not, not the least of which was because I was able to live on uh, two hot dogs and a papaya shake uh, for you know five dollars <laughs> a day, but um, but also the, there's just something amazing about the the creative musical space to put yeah. form and function to emotion is always an, a, an interesting place. We we do that, but not quite in the same way, Barry. I, yeah. I think at this point, Barry, it's time to pivot into the steel where we where we ask each other. You know, what nuggets of uh, of information we want to take with us forward and hopefully pass on to our listeners as well. So, Barry, about all, uh, out of all the things that Jack talked about, what are you going to steal? Yeah. So I think something that Jack really talked about early on <clears throat> is important for, for everyone who's a creative person who has to kind of work in a collaborative manner with, with other creatives. That, you know, what Jack sort of sees, I think, firsthand is that people, <laughs> what he talked about, people are amazing at like giving negative feedback. They can outline in detail why something stinks and how they hate it and why it reminds them of things that are terrible. But so many people are actually really, really bad about talking about the elements that they like and Mm -hmm. being able to kind of voice why certain parts actually are working. And, and actually, I think that, you know, Phil and you and I have talked about this, like creativity and, and so many of the things that we're all making, these are group efforts, right? And they kind of need to be yes. And mm-hmm. more than just sort of like, no, no. kind yeah. of like collaborations. And so that's the thing that I'm going to steal from what Jack talked about is I think that all of us as creative people have to really focus on the, what are the elements of it that I like and how do I describe that and articulate that in a way that's as provocative and as powerful as the parts of something that really just aren't working for me, right? Mm -hmm. That it's not Mm -hmm. enough. I I would argue that the art we're going to create ultimately at the end is not going to be shaped by all the no's. It's going to be shaped a little bit more by, by sort of like the the better articulation of what's working Mm -hmm. so that everyone who's working on it collectively can kind of understand the parts that are most powerful and heighten those. So what are you going to steal, Phil? Well, gosh, uh, that certainly resonated with me as well. Uh, Don't just tell me what you hate. Tell me, tell me why. First of all, uh, I'm okay Mm -hmm. with hate and a visceral, you know, sort of reaction. (laughs) I just need some rationale behind it. Uh, Don't just hate for the the sake of hating. You know, one I I I mentioned Dave Grohl's uh, autobiography. The name of the book he calls it Storyteller uh, because his his musical life is basically told through these little vignettes, these little stories, whether he was with Nirvana or his first band Scream here in the D.C. area or moving on to his own project, The Food Fighters. I think good art tells a story. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that is, I think, not it, it, is, it is truer in the music world than perhaps any other medium. Um, mm-hmm. When when we are at our best, Barry, doing what we do, we're telling stories of mm. a company's future or uh, or a team's future together, uh, mm. or the company that we work for, their their future, right? 
uh, as a reason to believe, a reason to move forward in, in whatever journey that they're on. That 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 they're on. I think I think that is very very true with music, especially music that is meant to be accompanied with a visual element. Um, so if you think about the musicality of of the best pieces, they have highs, they have lows, they have an emotional quality to them. They're not mm. just repetitive over and over and over again. Although there is some great music that sounds like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but uh, if you're thinking about your next project, think of it in terms of a story. There is mm. a an exposition. There's a climax. There's a resolution, and it's never supposed to end necessarily. But you want to mm. take people on a journey, and and that's true. If you're certainly in the musical world, but even if you're building a mobile app, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. you're, you're telling a story about your relationship with, with a company, with, with a brand, with a service. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, that's what I'm going to steal is, uh, make sure, you know, you're, you're thinking sort of operatically and, and, uh, and, uh, the way that a, an author would write a book or, or a good storyteller yeah. would sto would tell a story. Yeah. Awesome. I agree. Jack, thank you for joining us. So, uh, what what are, what are your thoughts here? Is there anything from the conversation you've heard today that you're going to kind of steal for your own work? You know, I was just thinking to myself that I I am going to steal something since that seems to be a theme. And, and I, yeah. I really liked what you said, Barry, about that concept of of you know the architect versus let's say the sculptor mm. and mm -hmm. somebody who because that really does speak to me because I'm not sitting down and writing the music. That is going to my clients. Mm. Um, you know, other people are either that are, are salaried employees of mine or artists that I work with all the time. Mm. So it it feels good to start to understand that role. So I like that that artist as a as a functionality, you know, mm -hmm. type of thought is really interesting to me. Where you're working with other artists in a management role, but but you still have an artistic creative opinion. You know, you're yeah. not just a middleman. You're not just, just, you know, telling people what to do. You're thinking about it. So yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. going to steal that idea because I, I like that way of thinking. About it. Well, I go. agree. I agree. Welcome to the creative economy. We're all in it here together. And I, and I think, and I think, uh, I think uh, getting a lot of artists to work together and to kind of make something that's not just meaningful, but actually sort of like helps sort of like drive behavior and helps sort of like shape sort of thought mm -hmm. is really important. So art, art for purpose. another great, Another great episode of What Bubbles Up, Phil. Indeed. Let's uh, let's let's roll into our close here. So Take us home. for those of you uh, who are joining us for the first time, please subscribe. Please like us here. Another great episode. Thank you again to Jack Bradley from uh, Hi-Fi Project. Um, and uh, we, if you uh, have not yet subscribed to What Bubbles Up, please do so. You can find us on uh, Google, on Spotify, on Anchor, on Apple Play, and about 16 other platforms that I can never remember when we have to come to it. Or, of course, you can always find us um, at whatbubblesup.com. Phil? Absolutely. If you want to get in touch with us, please feel free to do so by emailing us at whatbubblesup at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at whatbubblesup. Once again, thank you so much to Jack Bradley, executive producer and partner at Hi-Fi Project. We will see you on the next episode of What Bubbles Up. Cheers. What bubbles up? What bubbles up? My feels pumping off my bottle cap. What bubbles up?